0: From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, Michael and Adam field questions from me about money and marriage. As everyone knows, 50% of marriages end in divorce and a big reason for that is financial disagreements so michael and adam give their personal and professional take on how to handle money uh, dilemmas and certain issues overarching philosophies if you will um concerning money and marriage it of course, was a interesting, very interesting conversation. Um, and I know you will enjoy it. So thank you very much for joining us today. And please, as always, please email us at podcast at for any future episode suggestions. We have been getting those. So we appreciate you. They are in our queue, a few of them, and we really appreciate it. We hope you're having a wonderful day. Guys, without further ado, let's get to the show. So Adam, how old are you? How long have you been married? And is it dual or single income?
1: So I'm 32, my wife is also 32. Um, We have been married, it'll be eight years this coming April. So seven and a half years, let's say. And we are a dual income family. Michael, how old are you? I'm. (laughs) How long have you been married?
2: And is it dual or single income? Yeah. I'm old enough to be Adam's father. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm fifty one. Mm-hmm. I'm fifty-one. Uh, my wife's forty two. So there's sure. there's a bit of a, a bit of an age difference. Um, let's see, we've been married in January. It'll be 20 years. So uh, nice. uh, a bit. Um and then we are currently a dual income family. Uh we've been dual income, single income. My wife right now works part-time. So uh, I guess that's dual income.
0: So that's the skinny on us. All right, Adam, I'm going to field the first question to you. Okay. So when I had college roommates, uh, in order to evenly divvy up financial responsibility and avoid future conflict, we often split bills down the middle. And it seemed to work. Um, do you think in a marriage, or maybe more specifically for you, splitting the bills down the middle is a good uh is a good way to divvy up
1: financial responsibility or even it out? Well, uh, whether it's good or bad, the first thing is that assumes that there are dual incomes. It assumes that there are Mm. um, split responsibilities within the home. And that's not always the case, right? You might have uh, a single income home, for instance. And so that method just isn't applicable by default. If you're going to attribute responsibilities or bills, you know, by income, then one member, one spouse is going to carry all of the the burden. So I, I think though, what that kind of gets to is going to be my overall larger point, which is for me personally, I don't think that would work And And we are a dual income home. My wife is, uh, she, she's a therapist. She has her own practice. Um, and so for us though, we we don't split. And I think it, it falls larger into, I think you could probably get on some shaky territory when you do split things because, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a marriage, you're, you're a team and the minute you start kind of attributing split responsibilities, then you're kind of isolating the team members. You're saying, well, you know, not my job that you know, we, we weren't able to cover the mortgage this month that's on you because you had a rough month at work or whatever the case is. Um, so I, I think you're just setting up, you know, marriage is hard enough as it is. Life is going to throw you challenges. There's going to be things that are going to put pressure on that relationship just because the nature of the relationship and life in general. And so I think the goal should be, how do we set something up that reduces as many future possible strains or conflicts as possible and how can we set things up that we are aligned instead of you know disaligned if that's if i could make up a word so for us we just we 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 earn what we earn as a family and the first thing we do is we put that all in a pot um so you know we we, uh, we have all joined accounts we don't have you know except for our iras obviously Um, but in terms of, of just our, our bills and cash flow, everything's in the same pile. Um, Mm -hmm. and the minute it goes into that account, it's no longer labeled, you know, Adam or Natalie dollars. It's just, Hey, this is what we got. And then we have a a deeper conversation on how do we budget and so on and so forth.
0: Now, did you guys develop this system like as you went or was this kind of right at the get go, you kind of already
1: knew what to do? Right. So for us, we kind of made, when we got, right when we got married, actually before we got married, kind of going through, you know, premarital counseling and having these conversations, we we knew the day we got married that we weren't going to keep things separate. Um, for a lot of the reasons I just kind of outlined, um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, honesty and vulnerability and transparency in being open with your spouse about finances and about what you're earning and what you're spending um, and I think that can help strengthen a marriage. So we knew coming in that we were going to absolutely have joined finances, but we didn't necessarily, you know i would I would definitely say there's been tweaks and adjustments made as to how we how we actually live that out day to day. Um you know, my wife, it's funny, like with what I do every day, um, it's it's much more kind of uh, I would say nitty-gritty, kind of more. Um, like A's and B's and ones and twos than what my wife does for a living. Whereas mm-hmm. as a therapist, you're much more, you know, um, I can't remember if that's left brain or right brain, but she's very, you know, she works in the world of emotion and in feelings. Um, uh, but then in our personal life, she is, I mean, she's type A and she is much more um good at like monitoring things. So the way we work is largely, and of course I take her input and we discuss it, but I build the budget and kind of say, okay, I I think this is what makes sense. I think, you know, I look at our spending and say, I think this is about what we should try to, to aim for. And then she actually is the one that tells me, Hey, like we're off by this much, or Hey, you know, you did this, that was outside of the budget by this amount. Um, and that's kind of how we've ended. It has not always been that way. Um, initially I was trying to do both of those things and just quickly found out my personality is not built towards that. I'm not the guy that's going to jump into my Google doc. You know, when I'm at the grocery store checking out for an $8 thing of milk or whatever creamer and say, Oh, you know, that's going to put us $4 over. No, I'm going to buy what I want to buy at the store and deal with it later. Whereas she is like, no, no, look right here. It says, this is why we budget. And so we kind of have to find that happy medium. But at the end of the day, it it comes out in the wash. And, um, I think the important thing is for, in the context of this conversation and marriage, it's, It's understanding your role, right, within the marriage when it comes to finances. If you, you know, you have to be self aware, like I think with everything in marriage, but it would be, it would make it very difficult if, you know, I wanted to mandate to her um, her role, right? I have to acknowledge what my strengths are, but also acknowledge my weaknesses and then kind of release to her um, the roles that she is much better at and then trust her in that role just like she has to trust me in the role of building a budget. So, um, I definitely over time it, and, and you know, you asked me 10 years from now, as our kids get older and we, you know, seasons of life change, I'm sure the method that we use will, will change as we go. But for right now, we've, we've found a, something that works for us.
0: Now, Michael, do you guys have a similar structure? Did you guys set it up to where somebody has certain roles, uh, as, as Adam described, and if you have, what role do you play?
2: We're similar. I I would say I echo a lot of what Adam says. Uh, I think one of the things that we learned early on was communications and expectation. Um, And having um, shared expectations is really important. Uh, So, for instance, you're newlyweds, and one of you has a goal of uh, buying a house. And the other one has a goal of... I don't know, buying a new car or, you know, having a certain clothing budget, for instance, then uh, if if one of you is always going to TJ Maxx to buy, you know, some inexpensive clothing items that make them feel good, make them feel happy, and then the other person's like, but you're killing my uh, ability to save for a new house, then that's not gonna work. And so I think having shared expectations and shared goals is really important. I think that continues throughout life. Um, So just to give you a real life example, uh, my family, I grew up, uh, my parents did not give me a car. I had access to a family car. It was uh, really cool. It was a large green station wagon. uh, And I was allowed (laughs) to drive the large green station wagon to my job at HEB (laughs) <laughs> um, excuse me, surprisingly, I didn't go out a lot in my large green station wagon. But <laughs> I, I just, you know, my parents didn't buy me a car. Sarah's parents uh, bought her a car when she turned 16. And so uh, a couple of years ago, my daughter was 13, uh, maybe, when we started having this discussion, 12, 13. And we realized that we just had very different views of what would happen when she turned 16, would we buy her a car or would we just give her access to one of our cars? Um, And so, you know, she'll ask, which car am I going to get? Kind of like she has an expectation. And so, you know, imagine if one of you is saving for a car for your your child and the other one's like, no, Uh, she's just going to get to drive whatever's there. You're going to have some frustration. Or if one of you is saving to fully pay for college, because that was your expectation. And the other one, other person might have been raised or might believe for some reason we should pay for part of college. And so I just think mm-hmm. that there's a lot that goes into setting expectations ahead of time.
0: Now, Adam, a 2018 study from, from Northwestern Mutual, um, a study we'll put in the show notes, found that one in five people surveyed said that they have financial disagreements with their partners at least once a month. How do you and Natalie navigate financial disagreements?
1: I'm insulted <laughs> that you would imply my wife and I have disagreements about finances. Of course we don't. We I'm are, just saying. No, I'm, I'm just I'm, saying. Of course story. we do. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. do. Uh, we're like anybody else. So I think, I mean, it, I, I would say that we've, like, like we were talking in the earlier question, we've kind of changed not only how we have those disagreements, but what those disagreements are about. Um, I think a lot of that's around our kids, you know, like how do we want to, you know, for lack of a better term, spend money on our kids, um, you know, is private school worth it is, you know, do we need, um, do they really need this brand of shoe or whatever? Mm. Um, for us, I think the, the fundamental disagreements come down to just our personalities Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably true in a lot of areas in marriage, but um, my wife is, uh, we've probably talked about the Enneagram on, on this podcast before, but my my wife being a therapist, it comes up all the time in our relationship. Mm -hmm. She's a six on the Enneagram, which I'll save everyone. The, the (laughs) the long, the long version of this, but uh, what that basically means is her personality. What motivates her is a feeling of security, a feeling of knowing that we're okay for me. I'm an eight. And so, in this context, what that really means is I kind of go by my gut, right? i I, I don't sit here and crunch a million numbers over every little decision that we're going to make financially. So, you know, uh, when we moved houses, when we when we sold our last house and moved into the house we're in now, we didn't use every last dollar um, to go into the new house. We had been able to save some. And so we had this chunk of money that we were kind of deciding, okay, how do we want to deploy this? Like, what should we do? And the big motivation for her was she wanted to put like way more just in cash, like as a rainy day fund than I wanted to. I thought it was absurd how much she wanted to put into cash, right? And so Mm -hmm. then the reason is that makes her feel like we're okay, right? The idea of investing it in the market where it can go up and go down gives her a lot of heartburn. Whereas that's what I do. That gives me absolutely zero heartburn. So mm-hmm. we had to navigate that. We had to discuss and and first of all, identify why is that, um, you know, and what amount of security does that really give you? You know, my argument to her was, hey, listen, we're absolutely blessed to be able to have some money to put back. But let me just put into context for you how much security this really gives us. Right. Like mm-hmm. it was the amount of like it was fine, but it wasn't the amount of money that <laughs> like. If if I go total my truck tomorrow, it wouldn't replace the value of my truck. So it, it's not as though we were um just that it was a veil. That was my argument to her. This idea of security that you're getting from this money is kind of a veil. We are always at the mercy of chance and life. And for us, you know, that with with our our faith, it was more of a matter of okay, where should we place our our trust and our hope? So um for us, that's kind of where it always boils down to: are those core motivations and core kind of how we think, how we work, how our personalities are. Um, and so we just kind of, honestly, where we ended with that conversation was we found a happy medium. We compromised. Um, at the end of the day, I still would have rather put a little bit more into our our brokerages, um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's not worth it for me for some potential return for her to be uncomfortable. And then for her to feel kind of a resentment toward me for, for forcing her to do something she didn't really want to do. So we kind of found a happy medium and, um, you know, we, we were both not fully satisfied, but we were both um, satisfied enough that we didn't resent the other. If that kind of makes sense. I think
0: that's an excellent point. Very interesting.
1: Um,
0: Michael. So was there a person in your marriage that brought in more debt. And if that is true, how did you guys navigate that? Um, so what's that even a discussion?
2: Yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily the discussion that it should have been. Uh, if I'm, if I'm honest. Um, we did, we, you know, like Adam said, we went to, uh, some, did some premarital counseling, went through a series of classes. We talked about money. Um, when Sarah and I got married, she was just graduating from college and I'm nine years older than she was. So I had been out in the world, um, and actually, you know, had money. Um, so I think that there was kind of this expectation that, um, I would be okay, and we didn't need to have this conversation with these people. Uh, The reality was, um, when I when we got married, I traveled a lot, and again, going back to the bill paying thing, I just wasn't very good at it. So I didn't really have debt, but I had no way of paying bills. Uh, Hmm. Conversely, Sarah, and when I say I had no way of paying bills, I mean like you know I had a checkbook. And and this was before you paid things online. This is back in two thousand, uh, so you didn't pay pay for things online. You couldn't really set up recurring payments. So I simply didn't have the structure and the discipline that was required to take to 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 pay for things. Sarah came into the marriage, you know, college student, uh, no money, but a total willingness to write checks. Uh, so you know, when she finally had money, she was like, "This is awesome! I can pay bills."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So. Uh, I don't think either of us really came into the marriage surprised. We were, you know, kind of transparent. We had been friends. We knew each other for a while, so we kind of knew who each other was—strengths, weaknesses. Um, I will say this: and that over the last, I don't know, ten years, probably of doing premarital counseling, like talking to other people as they're preparing for marriage, I am frequently surprised by the number of people who can't come within ten thousand dollars of telling you how much uh, debt the other person has and what that debt represents was it you know college is it credit card? is it I drive a really nice car? Mm. what does and it's it is surprising uh, had a couple of cases where um, you know, uh, well, one of the parties uh, is raised in an affluent family and mm-hmm. just gets used to a certain lifestyle, graduates from school, gets a job as a teacher, uh, continues to spend as if they still had you know, their parents' income available, and quickly runs up debt, and you will marry somebody who is very frugal, has saved you know, for five years, works as an engineer at Google, makes 150, dollars $200,000 and is putting that money away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, you just kind of look at their faces as they realize, you know, I mean, one person might be thinking, wow, I'm marrying somebody who's going to be able to take care of me and provide. And then the other person is, looking at them saying, wait a minute, I had no idea I was getting into this. So again, it goes back to communication. You need to be able to talk through these things and say, hey, this is important to me to know what it is that I'm, you know, what I'm coming into. Uh, I think it's the other thing I was going to say, I read a survey uh, It was talking about um, how often people talk about money. And uh, people who describe their marriage as great or healthy talk about money. Uh, or 54% of people who said my marriage is great or healthy uh, talk about money daily or weekly. And to me, that sounds painful. Mm. Um, but if people who said that their money, their marriage was okay or in crisis, uh, 29% of those people talked about the money uh weekly so you know it's not strong it's not the strongest correlation or indicator but it does it it does tell you that money can cause rifts in marriage if there's not uh some communication going back and forth
0: adam so in in marriage counseling they call the power play they call this thing they call it the power play so the power play is when the breadwinner in other words the person in the relationship who makes the most money insists on dictating the spending priorities. How often do you think that this happens? And do you think that it's a healthy approach or an unhealthy approach?
1: I think that's an unhealthy approach Uh, just to, to be very open with, with you guys and and the listeners. I grew up in a household like that. Um, Hmm. my mom was a stay at home mom, my dad, to the extent that he earned income, he was the sole income earner. Um, And he absolutely wanted to, you know, he was a very domineering personality. He wanted to dictate everything. And so as someone that witnessed that, um, I don't think it creates a healthy environment because I think what it assumes is that we're not a team. Hmm. I am the, the, I'm the income earner. That means I'm also the decision maker and it boils everything down to money is what is the important thing. And it ignores that, and to be clear, there will be a time, probably, where it just becomes statistics. I will not always be, you know, I, th- th- there is a difference between the percentage of income earners in our family, but it's not significant. so it's it's not as though I'm um, speaking from a lack of experience here. but I, I think it going about it that way, just sets up um, an uneven, kind of footing for the marriage. And I don't think that's probably a safe place to be or a healthy place to be. Um, I would hope, you know, and I'm sure there are cases where this isn't true, but there are many ways to contribute to a family other than money. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure you could look at a ton of homes where, you know, one person earns all the money. And if you asked everyone, trust me, I grew up in a home like this. If you asked everybody in the family, Hey, if you're on an island, you had to vote off one person. Who's it going to be? Guess what? It's the main income earner so yeah. it, it's it's not it's not to say that because you earn all the income you should get all say over where the money goes um and in a lot of cases just in my home my wife didn't always work there were seasons where she was either finishing her schooling um or you know we had just had kids and she was taking some time off but that ability actually gave her much more insight into where our money should go than i had um being in the home she was able to say hey Like, this is where, trust me, we need to spend money on, um, a new dishwasher. This is making my life miserable or whatever the case is. It just gave her insight that I needed to listen to. And so, um, yeah, I, I just fundamentally believe that's probably not a very healthy way to, I was just going to say,
2: I think one of the things is that money is a tool to accomplish Whatever it is that the objective is, so like as a family we have a mission statement. I won't go into that, but we look at things and we say this world is what,
0: <laughs> <that's>
2: <laughs> what it is. We, we, we have we have not accomplished yes. yet our family mission statement of world <laughs> but, but but we look at our family and we say Good. okay, just as a group, this is what our goal is as a family, and and it changes over time. You know, as your as your as your kids' age and as uh, circumstances change, some of the ways that you approach these things change, but your goal actually, your mission statement does actually pretty much stay the same. And so, um, one of the things that I would say is that there are times uh, when, you know, if you look and you say, hey, one of our objectives is to be close to each other, there are multiple ways you can accomplish that. You can accomplish that by buying a boat, Uh, You can buy a boat and then nobody can, you know, we're going to go skiing in the lake and nobody can get off the boat. It's a great way to establish uh, unity, but it's not the only way to do it. You could, uh, you know, say, hey, what we're going to do is schedule family time. And there's just going to be this mandatory Friday night movie watching at the French's house, whatever that thing is. If building unity. And so, money is the tool. And so, we don't get into necessarily a lot of conversations around money as much as we get into conversations around, hey, are we still moving towards our objectives? Mm -hmm. So, uh, in that way, it really takes the who's the earner because honestly, I get is i have as many conversations with my wife about spending time as i do money you know hey michael you're spending your time doing things that benefit you but not benefit the family and by the way that's not our mission statement as a family is not to make michael happy
1: so i I would agree with that i think that's absolutely true and it gets back to what michael has been talking about which is communication i think You know, if you're, if you're waiting to have these conversations about where to put the money as the money comes in, it's too late. Like this is where I think a lot of marriages and I keep referencing my childhood. I'm not trying to be one of those guys, but it is, I mean, it's the, it's the foundation of what I learned and kind of how I view marriage and relationships. And I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they don't have these conversations before they get married. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. what, what are your motivations? Like what's important to you in life, right? Like, is it career? Is it, and that's fine. Is it, you know, you want to travel, you want to see the world. Is it, you want to have kids super early and you know, whatever you want to be young grandparents, but all these types of things influence where you're going to have, you know, where you're going to want to spend money and how you're wanting to going to want to allocate money. So having these conversations up front and just fundamentally picking a spouse that aligns with you on most of these things is going to eliminate a ton of these problems that we're talking about because then there's no conversation to be had. It's, Hey, of course, we're going to put our money here because we've talked, we already know that both of us want to, you know, let's say be able to pay for half our kids college or whatever the case is. So talking about upfront and aligning your goals or finding someone who has the same goals is huge. So avoiding a lot of these potholes because if you pick someone that isn't aligned. You're just setting yourself up. There isn't any way to avoid them. and we I think we all probably know people like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Michael, speaking of upfront conversations, um at the risk of insulting a few people, do you think, in your opinion, is a prenup ever a good idea? <sighs> <laughs> so,
1: so this is this, this is Toga. <laughs> yeah, Michael, tough. answer it.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, so I'll say this. Um, there are there are statistics that you know we use, uh, and let's be honest: when you do evidence based investing, when you do evidence based financial planning, evidence tells you that fifty percent of marriages are going to end in divorce. Mm-hmm. So. um there are definitely times when as a financial advisor i would say to somebody hey you need to consider this and i wouldn't i wouldn't feel bad about it um i would i would say it's just a reality in our society that 50 percent of marriages end in divorce now i i know i can i can hear all the moral objections Uh, i can hear people saying you're setting marriages up to fail you're planning on marriages failing um not at all it's something that uh spend you know like adam uh spend a lot of time talking to people before they get married once people are married uh walk through walk through a lot of things with people trying to restore broken marriages make sure that people are Uh, in healthy places, financially, emotionally. But it is just a reality that we, uh, in our society, every other marriage is going to end in divorce. So I'm not as uh, vehemently opposed to them as I suppose people might uh, think that I should be.
0: Adam, do you have any uh, any thoughts on whether or not to get a prenup? You know,
1: I see no reason to step on the toes with such a great answer. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't wanna, okay. No, I mean, I think, boy, it's tough. Um, yeah. It, it's one of those things. And, and I'll be honest, I, I struggle with... I absolutely hear what Michael's saying. and I think that's the right answer as a financial advisor. The thing is, I don't know if there's ever like how do you put on one hat and then take off, take off that hat and put on the other hat? Like you're still, I'm still Adam at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I don't know. I'll, I'll just say this. I've never, I've never actually been put in a position, so I don't know how to act. i have never come across either, like a client situation in real life where a prenup was something that would make sense for somebody. Um, which essentially would essentially be the case where one person is coming into the marriage with, a sizable disparity in, in wealth compared to the other person. So I've never had that situation typically, and not always, but typically I'm, you know, working with folks that are already married um, or are not married at all, not hoarding and just are not married yet. So it's hard to say what I would, what I would do. Um, I'd like to think, as Michael said, if it was the right thing, that's my job as a fiduciary is to give. Financial advice, and and I don't think that's wrong. Do I think that that is setting them down a course for the healthiest, most fulfilling marriage? I don't. Um, but again, I'm I'm an advisor. I'm not I'm not a marriage counselor. So um, I really do just default to Michael's answer. I, I I think it's the best answer. But I don't think there's an easy way to to go about it.
2: Well, that's I mean, I think happy. if you if you said if you said if you said, hey, as a fiduciary, do what's in the best interest of your client. A guy comes in, uh, and this is just simple. But the guy comes in; he's eighty. He's got five million dollars. <laughs> he's marrying this cute waitress <laughs> that he met. She's twenty-five.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, and, no, and, trust me. and 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 so if somebody said, well, hey, I, I mean, I would. If I was friends with the guy, we probably have a lot of conversations about what he was hoping to get out of the marriage. You know, there's that is not necessarily the role as a financial advisor, as a financial advisor. It's just, hey, so let me me help you figure out what's in your best interest financially. Um, And I don't Uh, know, like I absolutely
1: agree in that case. I, I think that'd be a slam dunk.
2: Yeah, I think as a financial advisor, too, like as a fiduciary, what's in your best case financially may be different than, hey, what's in your best case? Like Adam said, I'm not a marriage counselor, so it's not what's in your best, the best for you emotionally or you know any of that necessarily. Like, right. I don't I don't I don't talk to people about their weight and whether or not they should work out more. Um, I do talk to about, I, but I talk to them about longevity and health and how that will affect how much they need to spend in retirement. So you know, there's there's some crossover there.
0: Mm-hmm. Adam, our last question might be personal, but we're going to ask it. So, what in your marriage is the most common money mistake that you make regularly, if any?
1: Ooh, that I that I personally make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are you just perfect, Mister mm-hmm. Perfect? No, not at all. My, I think probably the biggest mistake I make is altering course without communicating. Mm. Like I'll just decide, you know what? This month I'm gonna ch- like, and, and I don't even formally. Like, we have a shared Google Doc, my wife and I, that we budget on. I won't like go into the Google Doc and change it. I'll just say, you know what, like. <laughs> I've decided that this month's budget, let's say for food is going up by 50 bucks because I want to go to this restaurant or I want to eat lunch out today. So it's moved and I'll just make gotcha. the decision. So in other words, I guess that's a way of saying I don't abide by the pre, by, by the, the decision I made for my future self, which is what a budget is. I don't abide by that as strictly as I probably should, which results in ultimate like mismanagement. Right Now it's on the margins. I'm not saying I impulsively go buy a boat. But I do drift outside those lines more than my wife does. And she will remind me of this fairly <laughs> regularly, which, I mean, to her credit, as she should, I'm yeah, sure I would feel that way if I was the one, you know, especially given that I drew it up, right? I drew up the budget. So um, it's an example of probably poor leadership on my part in the, in the relationship to not abide by it. But that's just kind of where I, I struggle. Michael, do you have one? Do you have a
0: mistake that you've commonly made in marriage? I think uh, probably
2: not talking about things when they weren't crises. So I like to, uh, I just don't like to have conversations that may lead to conflict with my wife. And so, um, it's kind of like you know, it's coming. the The situation is coming. Uh, but I'll put it off for as long as I can, and then when we finally get to have the conversation, uh, let's just let's just let's, in, in Adam's case, let's pretend you're uh, spending a hundred dollars a month that you don't have. I'll see it, uh, and 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 by the way, that's me. I'm the spender. Sarah's much more of the saver. So. I would just see money flowing out or money going to things that I wasn't necessarily thinking money should go to. And I won't talk about it, won't talk about it, won't talk about it, but after a year, that $100 a month is now $1,000 that you've accumulated in debt. And really what it is, is it's a lack of being a big boy in in addressing it when I first saw the issue. Uh, so we... Uh, we have tried to just have more regularly uh, scheduled conversations, and we've also tried to incorporate those into things that um, are non-threatening and fun. So, like, hey, let's go sit down, have coffee, talk about these other things as well. and then um, And then, as part of that, we're also going to talk about. And so we, Uh, Have traditionally had kind of an annual retreat where my wife and I go in January, and we kind of set goals for the family. Talk about you know direction, things, um, everything from kids' school. Are they you know are we happy with where they are in school? Should they be going to different schools? Um, You know, are we happy with the amount of time that we're spending in the you know different things that we're pursuing? Um, Professionally, where are we? So you go through all of those conversations and then as part of that also hey, so these are some of the things that we uh, need to do financially. These are some places where we need to spend more money. These are some places where we need to spend less. Um, And again, you you wrap all of that though around your family mission statement. And so you say, okay, well if this is our objective as a family. All of these conversations that we're now having uh, kind of point to that. Are we accomplishing that goal?
0: Thank you guys for being so open about all of this. I feel like I am now prepared for marriage. So I really appreciate that.
1: You'll be you're, off not, that. Jared, you're, you're not, Jared. You're not. You're not. <laughs> no. A lot of work to do. Don't jump to conclusions.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'll ask this then. Adam, what is Sarah's maiden name? Oh, please. Um,
1: let's see. Well, we talk about if Michael's in-laws, not, in laws, in 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 only glowing terms. So I should, <laughs> I should know what her. he's currently looking up. He's currently looking no. because my, my because hold on. Michael. What does it start with? What's the first letter? H. H. Humble? No, that's no, I mean. that's the word you used to describe me. That's right. No, that's actually yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Hey. Hayes, yeah. Hayes. I was on the wrong track. Michael, what's Natalie's
0: maiden name? Well, you gave me a lot of time to look it up. Um, <laughs> so that's not really fair. Uh, I,
2: I don't know, but I will say Adam speaks glowingly of his in laws. And they, do. They, they give him, uh, they're uh, actively involved with Adam and Natalie and the girls.
1: But I do yeah. All you need know. to know is that we live not. we live like three minutes away from our in laws, and we yep. that was our decision. We chose where to move. Yeah, and so we absolutely are are close with them. It's Barry, the Barry family.
0: Hmm.
1: You can remember that because all my friends like to make fun of me and call me Mister Barry instead of calling her Mrs. Morse. <laughs> like I assumed their. Name.
2: I will I will do that from now on.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys what so else? much.
0: That, oh, that's no, all that's I, it? I had I had that and then I had a game uh, show I had three like so Burr. the third one's kind of lame okay here's my third one Michael what is or I'm sorry Adam what is uh Sarah's favorite type of music worship music ooh is that yeah, true It's cop out <laughs> <So> <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean if
2: you say no then you're like <laughs>
1: say, <laughs> no I'm gonna say like I would say, like, I would say so like, I hey, hold on, hold country. on hold on country really maybe okay. that would not have, have been know. my guessing i was going mean, to say she, like she loves to
2: dance so okay. like if i would take her i mean you know, if we went country dancing she'd be thrilled um Gosh. but I'm yeah remember. if you said i it's
1: mine too right. do you own a pair of cowboy boots oh yeah too. okay i mean you know texas enough to get you in the door yeah
2: yeah i've got jeans i don't i don't think they're the right ones they're not wranglers Michael, what's
0: uh, Natalie's favorite type of music? She loves Jesus, man. Worship music. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, uh, actually Natalie uh, and this is like this is like one of the top two weirdest things about Natalie. And I always tell her, like I'm gonna have to go on a podcast and say this, but I always tell her, like, you need to stop saying this to people, like in public. Like it's not a good thing. But she doesn't like dogs. Like it's like the biggest, I've been like, (laughs) I've been like, you cannot say that. You're right. I know. I know. And I've been on a campaign with our kids, like trying, like, we are all just like, Hey mom, dog, let's get a dog. It'll be so great. And she's just, it's weird. And then two, she's like the kind of person that will just drive in the car to silence by herself. No, like no music, no podcast, no nothing. She honestly is like impartial to music. She she kind of likes country, but like only modern country. She doesn't like actual country, like bluegrass. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Like she she almost would just prefer silence. Mm, Huh. It's it's so strange. But the thing is, she's a she's an incredible singer. Like growing up, like she went to a large church growing up. She sang on on stage. She's a really good singer. But just if you got in her car right now and turned it on, I guarantee you, like the radio's off. Does her
0: lack of music taste explain anything about her personality?
1: In a nice no, way. And that and, and no, no, and, and that's why like I say like don't say these things out loud, because it's gonna make you seem like you're like running on software. Yeah. But it's it's not at all. Like she's not at all like cold or removed. She's a therapist. She's extremely like human and and in touch. It's just she's honestly the the reason I think I think I always listen to things because I'm in some way trying to like mute my thoughts like I'm in some way trying to like Mm. calm myself and she is Mm. just so level and so well adjusted she's weird in the sense that she's totally fine in her own head at all times and that to me is like strange strange, but it's admirable I envy her in that way you want to know what kind of music I listen
0: to uh Adam Guess Adam Guess (laughs) For real, though, a
1: real guess. Classic
0: rock? I would yeah. say uh,
2: no. I mean, hey, Just based Will, on what's, growing wh- up in the 50s. Shut <laughs> up. That would not be classic, dummy. What's, well, what what's, classic what's, rock? I don't know. 70s. What's 102.3? One, what's 102.3? Okay. How would you describe that music? Uh, I don't like, know. Is the No, no, I'm asking, I'm asking Will. Hang on. Hip
1: hop?
2: Hip hop. Yeah. So I'm really? probably listening Pop? to hip hop. Yeah. Whoa. Huh. Pleasantly surprised. <laughs> pleasantly surprised. <laughs> surprised. Jared's surprised, but not pleasantly. He's like, mm.
1: yeah. Well, I think we, less we of you all you now know is that we all fall short of Jared's musical. Well, mm-hmm. his, yeah. En- encyclopedic hey, knowledge and taste. I was, That's I obvious. was going
2: to say when I get into the car and you ask me what I'm listening to, I'm like Jared's old band. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yay!
2: I'm his favorite on the podcast. <laughs>
0: All right, guys, thank you so much for your time. We'll see you, I guess we'll see you tomorrow, huh? We're going to record a good one tomorrow. Yeah.
1: I'm excited about it.
0: All right. All right, y'all. Take care. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit AssetBuilder.com.